This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. There's a parade marching through the middle of our podcast. Get out of here, parade. I can't talk to my friend Craig. I dropped my trombone. Hey, it's Craig. Hey, what's going on? God, did this parade today, huh? Yeah, oh boy, it's been going through my house and it won't get out. I I love a parade, though. Sure, that's why you invited one over to your house. It's true. Welcome what? to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. What is wrong with you? We are. What is your weird energy that you're bringing well, to our it's, podcast it's today? It's not a normal day for us to record. We're recording this. They don't this. know that at home. Oh, well, but they like to know, Andrew. They like to know. No, they like consistency. Like, it's like parenting. Consistency is key That's... in parenting as in podcasting. <laughs> I saw a comment thread about podcasts the other day where people were <laughs> debating the consistency question. Whether or what not. Was the, what's the debate? Well, we're going to be talking about Speak by Lori Holtz Anderson. Andrew Reddy is going to tell me all about it. But first, we got to get down in it. Do first, people, we got to talk about this thing that Craig read on do the Do people really care whether or not their podcasts come out on a regular schedule frequently enough to predict? I know I do. Yes, me too. Because people's, people's schedules tend to be fixed. And if I want to listen to the podcast that I like, as I drive to work on Monday to get my week all set up, then I want, that's what I want. I don't want it to come out at 3 p.m. or the next day yes. or skip a week. Like, yes. no thanks. Now, I know that we have listeners who tell us this all the time where I get a, a tweet at 8 in the morning on a Monday if the episode was uploaded wrong. And people are like, where, Craig, is my podcast? Now, I feel Craig, the same way. Craig, you have way. failed to podcast Yes. Me. And I think this might be... A podcast generational thing? Hear me out. In a post... Are you talking about the listener of the podcast or the creator of the podcast? Like people who have been listening to podcasts more recently and discovering them more recently when some of the longer running ones, like us, have big catalogs to dive through. But we have a huge, the hugest catalog. So big. But also people who are accustomed to like the season format and are used to like, oh, there's eight episodes i'm just gonna go listen to them right seasons are a responsible way to admit that you can't keep up with a weekly <laughs> podcast <laughs> yeah they're a way to to skirt the consistency question whereas a lot of us old hats subscribe to the mark Marin school of just turn on the mic three times a week and never shut up because <laughs> people <laughs> always want to listen to what you have yeah. to say yeah, people have been on board with pretty much every dumb thing we've done, which has given us a lot of rope to hang ourselves yep, with. Yep, that's true. That's true. Um, Hence the weird parade intro and then this whole thing. Well, yeah, that was going to be a July 4th thing, but then we talked about something else. You want to get me ready for this book? Uh, Sure. What? How can I do that for you? Well, um, how about I tell you first that it was a Patreon recommendation from Kristen. Thanks, Kristen. Y- you should do that first. And yeah. then um, we can put on our serious hats yeah, please. for a second. Uh, this book is it's equally about high school, but also about sexual assault and particularly the very graphic sexual assault of its of its main character. I'm not I'm not going to read any of those passages out loud on the show, but it is like intrinsic to talking about the show. So that's just a quick content warning for anyone listening at home who might have trouble with this or who who doesn't want to listen to this like that is gonna be what the episode is about yeah because that's what the book is about and there's there's just no there's no talking about one without talking about the other so that's so now you know now you know yeah anderson has like made her career 
writing books for kids and like youth readers, including this one. So like even as folks hear that that warning and think about like what type of book this is and what it's dealing with, like this book really put Anderson on the map in like in the education world because it got passed around by a lot of English teachers and librarians and kids who were reading it as a like way to talk about these issues. Yeah, it's it's been called a problem novel and before so you <laughs> and before and before you say that's a strange <laughs> name that's a strange thing to call a book. You should know that they are also known as social novels, social problem novels, social protest novels, thesis novels, propaganda novels and working class novels. Working class Basically, novels? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's been the format's been used to to say things about working conditions and and workers' rights and stuff. Okay. But the uh, the the moral of the story is that they generally are books that take an issue and talk about the issue extensively. Like sure, the issue sure, is sure, the, sure. the issue is the point of the book. I don't know that we necessarily need a words to call those stories specifically, but it exists and it's out there. Yeah. and there you go. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about Anderson first, and then we'll get into the book itself. It is Laurie Holtz. Anderson, I found a really fun biography of her on the Scholastic website, um, which just has a really fun, playful voice, presumably because like some kids are are maybe reading it. Yeah, you hop on that site after the book fair. I get, oh, yeah, probably. that's a good point. Um, and it says, Holtz rhymes with waltz, not Halsey. No, 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 no. Halt Z. If she could have anything she wanted, it would be world peace. But if she could have a second thing, it would be having people say her name correctly. <laughs> I think that would be included in world peace, right? Yeah, probably. Because if you like, if you were married to someone for just for example, just for whose ex- name is constantly mispronounced <laughs> or missaid, yeah, or you misspelled, then yeah, you would know that 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 assault, that eternal <laughs> onslaught, does create a lot of a lot of Lost violence strife. and badness. Yeah, 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 like the opposite of peace. Yeah. All right. That's a good point. Yeah, that would be a big umbrella. Um, So Anderson was born in 1961 uh, in Potsdam, New York. Quick note on Potsdam, Andrew. It is. uh, This is a clean podcast, so you do have to call it Potsdam. I'm just letting you know. Oh, excuse me. Um, Potsdam, New York, home (laughs) to notable people such as Lori Holtz Anderson, Uh uh, horror director, creator Wes Craven. Uh, uh-huh. Jason Sutter, a journeyman drummer who recently toured with Smash Mouth, <laughs> and Jeff Thatcher, the percussionist of the acapella band Rockapella. <laughs> oh, nice. Remember a couple weeks ago, well, no, this wasn't even a thing. We recorded that George of the Jungle thing for paternity. You mean Tarzan? And, yeah, whatever it was, Tarzan for paternity leave. Uh-huh. And I talked about famous people from the town that the guy who wrote that book found it, and then you made fun of me. Yeah, you want to make fun of me? Yeah, because these people <laughs> kind of suck. They aren't that famous. No, I know. That was the point. In it a was... bunch of in weeks, when people finally hear this first episode, it's gonna, it's just going to kill them. It's, it's going to feel like them. a good callback. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. That's what Wikipedia had to offer. Sorry, Pots- hey, Potsdam. Please, Potsdang. Please get famous or please beget more famous people. <laughs> sure. Um, Anderson spent a year working on a pig farm in Denmark. Uh, Is that a euphemism for something? No, actually. (laughs) Okay. Um, We'll talk about why she did that in a second. But she then went to college. She's a proud graduate of Onondaga Community College before she went to Georgetown University. She did a lot of nonfiction writing and reporting. Kind of got into writing nonfiction for and about kids. Um, and then started writing novels in the mid-90s, including Indito Runs, Turkey Pox, No Time for Mother's Day, and then Speak in 1999. Uh, it was adapted into a movie starring Kristen Stewart, Andrew. Did you know that? I did know that. I read about that. Yeah. Uh, it was like a like a sort of made-for-cable movie, though, not like a theatrical. I think it was at Sundance, it was but at I don't Sundance. think it got like a wide It got a lifetime release. release or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was later adapted into a graphic novel. And then some of her other books include Catalyst, which is set in the same school as Speak. Um, A whole bunch of other books, including uh, Winter Girls, which is about um, eating disorders. And then she has some other series for like different age groups. She has the Seeds of America trilogy, which is about like tackling different issues in early uh, like America revolutionary times. 
And then she has the Vet Volunteers series, which if I were a kid, looks pretty rad. Is that for veterans or veterinarians? No, it is uh, a series that takes place at the Wild at Heart Animal Clinic run by Dr. J.J. Mack, otherwise known as Dr. Mack. It follows the <laughs> adventures of five children who volunteer at the clinic and solve mysteries as they help the animals there. Andrew, there's one that's got a horse on the cover and it just says Trickster. That's what it's called. <laughs> Trickster horse. There's a there's one horses are sneaky. There's one called Manatee Blues. Uh there's it's my favorite Miles Davis album. <laughs> there's one that has a bunny on the cover and it just says New Beginnings. Mm-hmm. I like all of these books. There's another one with a horse that says fear of falling, but it's a picture of a horse running. So I don't know. Wait, so fear. what is the what is the subtitle mean is about what's inside the book? And then it just doesn't have a lot to do with the cover art. Well, or what? Those are the titles of the books. Those I are think the titles of the books. Okay. Yeah. New beginnings. There's there's one that just has a lamb on it that says left behind. Oh, no. I would read. All that lamb's friends were raptured. I would read these books. Um, I learned about this on her website. If you're a lamb and you get raptured, do you leave your wool behind? Oh, jeez. That's a great question. If I got raptured, do I leave my hair behind? Mm-hmm. Well, no, because people don't, like, shear your hair. Like, your hair's not clothes. People, I went to the barber today, though. A lamb? No, a lamb's wool is just clothes. It grows clothes, Andrew. It Yeah, it grows clothes. Is every other animal that we've ever worn just growing clothes? Yeah. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> uh, her website is, it used to be writerlady.com, and now it is madwomaninthaforest.com. I think she's leaning into the cabin that her husband built for her. Um, oh, she didn't even keep writerlady.com to do a redirect. No, That's she a real didn't. Rookie, a real rookie mistake. Um, she does live in Philadelphia uh, as of right now, according to her website, where she enjoys eating cheesesteaks while she writes, which seems a little dangerous. It depends you on how me. you're writing. Yeah, like uh, there's a there's a real danger of getting whiz and onions all over <laughs> your laptop. I want this novel whiz wit. Um, that's a little Philadelphia thing for you, you locals out yes. there. That's how you order your cheesesteak. If you want cheese whiz and onions on it. <laughs> um, I'll toss this out there as a general fact, and then we'll bring it up again if it seems relevant to the book. She's done a lot of work uh, fighting against censorship of books. Uh, Speak has gotten a lot of criticism from folks trying to you know, ban it from libraries or schools because of its sexual content. Um, and for her, she kind of, she sees that as success as like, well, that means that it's, it's starting conversations and that she really just feels bad for the parents who would rather not have the conversation with their kid. And she's a parent. She understands that. Um, yeah. Like I just, that she came around that's on it. One of the things I, I really dislike when, when books that are about sex but not in like a gratuitous way or not you know there, there's there's a there are ways to bring up sex where it doesn't really matter to the story it's just kind of in there to be yes, in there yes and then there are books like this that are about i don't know that that are about that experience and about coping and about trying to like come back from that and like and reclaim your your own body and yourself mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Yeah, and they all get kind of lumped in together in, in these like censorship schemas. And I, I, I understand if you're a parent, like I want to have this talk with my kid myself or I am not ready for my kid to read this yet. But I will be one day to just like blanket try to oppose it because that stuff is in that at all. Like this is this is I will rail against abstinence only sex education literally for Yeah, I know you will. That's one of my that's one of my fun she said, hobby horses for my childhood. She but, said in yeah. an interview with Salon kind of what you said, nobody's ever talked to these kids about things like healthy sexuality or sexual violence. When I see a parent trying to censor a book, what I see is the parent really trying to censor having a having to have an awkward conversation with their child. Um she, you know, saying that kind of like i used to get really angry about this people doing this to my books and now like i at least 
I know the psychology of where that's coming from, and I'm going to spend all my time making sure that the censorship doesn't happen rather than just getting mad at people. Yeah, um, yeah, totally, she, totally. Probably a more productive yeah. way to respond to it than mine. But. Um, she's been a National Book Award finalist for both this and her other book, Chains. Um, and she also, in addition to a lot of consulting work that she does, she has also served uh, as a member of the Rain. Uh, National Leadership Council, and that's an organization that uh, educates and does advocacy around sexual violence. So um, the thing I alluded to earlier, and this will be the last thing I want to bring up before we get into the book, um, that time when she went to a pig farm in Denmark was actually like she had to get out of her parents' house because she had had uh, an experience of sexual assault as a teenager. And like it had been a couple years and she was not like, feeling good about how she was coping and she kind of just needed to get away and then this book uh speak came out of her experience after she had had a daughter who got to middle school and she had like a nightmare about that uh, anderson did had a nightmare about like what if this was happening to her daughter or something yeah sure. um, and then it kind of propelled her to just start writing she did come out with a memoir called shout i believe it's called uh, like a year or so ago, maybe even earlier this year, actually. Is that re- intentionally a play off of yes. um, this book? Okay. It is a poetic... This is, mer- this is her most well-known known book. thing, yeah. right? Yeah, um, okay. And Shout is a poetic memoir of Anderson's experience. Um, and through multiple interviews, I've gleaned that it is not. it was not not motivated by things like uh, the high-profile uh, Kavanaugh hearings and other uh, high profile stories of the Me Too era. She's kind of been pretty upfront about that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. but I think what I, I would want to start with, Andrew, with this book is like the things you were telling me about as you were starting it, which is like, what's it, what is it as a book about high school? What is it a, as a book about teens before we even get into like the real heavy stuff? There are actually a lot of a lot of parts of it. So the, the book is mainly about a girl named Melinda, Melinda who is entering her freshman year of high school. And I don't know if you remember what that felt like, but I was. It was a weird transition. It was. It was. I was not as scared of it as I was when I entered seventh grade because seventh grade for us was the transition between, like, you have one teacher most of the time, you cycle to another teacher for like one or two classes but mostly you're just in the one classroom. And then in seventh grade, you switch to the, like the 10 period, like different class. Every that was period similar transition schedule. for us. Yeah. And I was like, I was really scared of that. I was convinced. <laughs> and I still to this day get that way when I have to like ride on a public transit system I've never ridden on before. Oh, no, <laughs> It took me a long time to start using the buses in Philadelphia regularly. Cause I was just like, what if, what if something goes wrong? What if, what if I end up the worst, else? the worst thing that possibly could happen is that I'd briefly be lost somewhere and not know what I'm doing so that was it, it, it was not as extreme going from junior high school to high school but that was a version of what I was feeling on the eve of that I transition. will say I am very thankful for a marching band in high school because like late middle school into high school like I had like two or three different kind of pools of friends that I was kind of floating between but nothing had really like you know, going into high school, all of that is up in the air, right? Yeah, and, and that's like, I can read you a little bit of of the book that is about that too. Oh, awesome! Um, because then, like, some of them are in band with me now, but like, I'm not in the same classes with everyone. What was really nice, though, was knowing that I was going into that band. You had to show up early for camp. And you had like two weeks of band camp, one time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so you <laughs> stop, would at least like. It know who people were there were upperclassmen were a little demystified which was nice um so i'm very thankful for that looking back on it because like it was a tough transition um i was going through other stuff with my grandmother who had recently passed away so like i was already primed for a bad transition into high school um and i can't yeah i know that that's not easy for a lot of people yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. I did find a, my first close group of friends in f- freshman year because they because of marching band. Yeah, it was it was a group of mostly older kids. Like I, I, I became friends with with younger people as as we went. But I'd always kind of been prone to finding friends who are slightly older than you. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. so, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm just like so mature and worldly, and it's just really easy for me to relate to people who are older than me. Man, our friendship's weird. 
But yeah, th- there are parts of this that are very like proto Mean Girls. Oh sure, 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 sure. Um, you want to hit me with that like transition into high school bit? Yeah, there's a there's a bit about uh, we fall into clans, jocks, country clubbers, idiot savants, cheerleaders, human waste, Euro trash, future fascists of America, big hair chicks with an X, the Marthas, suffering artists, thespians, goths, shredders. I am Whoa. clanless. That's good. Shredders. I wasted the last weeks of August watching bad cartoons. I didn't go to the mall, the lake, or the pool, or answer the phone. I have entered high school with the wrong hair, the wrong clothes, the wrong attitude, and I don't have anyone to sit with. I am outcast. Huh. So feeling very so the 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 book split up into four parts to correspond to the four like quarters of this of her freshman year. Okay. Um as the book opens, all we know is that something has happened between you know, something happened over the summer that has made her sort of a social pariah. We don't know what it is. Okay. Then it becomes clear later that she was at a party over the summer and she called the cops and some people got arrested. And so Mm. everybody thinks she's a narc. And so they're excluding her because they think she's a narc. Sure. And then it becomes clear. And and it is, it's clear that we've, cause you're in her head all the time. Like this is a, it's kind of a diary style book. Okay. Um, complete with occasionally like stylized words and stuff. Um, you know, from the get that there's something that's happened that, she is not telling you about yet and and you do sometimes like you'll be she'll be stressed out about something else and then you'll very briefly start getting i don't know things like she remembers the smell of leaves and then some other stuff like clearly from some prior thing that had happened that is the crux of the book but we don't know about it yet and is like meaningful in terms of its placement but you don't know why yeah. yeah. And then okay. there and there's this person who is just referred to as it who like halfway through the book or so uh gets a name. His name is Andy. Mm-hmm. Um and what is it? His full name is Andy Evans. Andy Evans. Which she says is a short stabby name. Oh. Andy it, Evans. Andy Evans. It is. I feel like I'm hitting a pothole when I say Andy Evans. And um and so we Eventually get her her best friend, Rachel, who has been like estranged from her this entire year, hanging out with other kids, like seeming cooler than than her and just being really nasty to her in general. Um, she went to this party with Rachel and she had a couple of beers because you do that at high school parties sometimes. I never did that at high school parties because I was not like yep included <laughs> yep i was not included in the circles that did that sort of thing i re- remember um, distinctly a rehearsal for a play where the cast was called on stage there were like eight or nine of us and a bunch of people had gone to a party and gotten caught and it was bad and yeah. everyone was getting lectured i had not been invited but that's fine <laughs> Could you just stand up and say, listen, I, everybody will tell you, I was not cool enough to be at this party. Do I need to have this talk? Like, Can am I, I good? go? Can I go? It was weird. I got, I've got some Star Wars books to read. Oh I'm Craig. God, I've got to go learn how to build a lightsaber. I've got to go play Diablo 2. Oh I'm Craig. Oh my God, you guys. <laughs> I have to log 20 more hours in Final Fantasy. <laughs> I was a shredder in high school, if you can't tell. Aerith's not going to kill herself, you know? (laughs) You got to get to that part of Final Fantasy VII. Andrew, you're my one-winged angel. Great, thanks. Is is that a Final Fantasy Oh, my God. Just tell me about the book. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just trying to understand my nerd friend, Craig. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you make friends with people younger than you. Uh, <laughs> so like how what is um, their and, relationship and, and over the course of the book or you're telling I mean, me about it's, the party it's, she is trying to avoid him mostly okay um and really repressing what happened like because because he he is it in capital letters for a while then he beca- it becomes clear that it is a person and then it becomes clear that it is a person named andy who did something to her mm, mm-hmm. and then you get a sequence at the party she's had a couple beers she is out in the woods just kind of like taking in the air and 
this guy comes over and he starts kissing her. And for a while, she's like, man, I'm going to get into high school and I'm going to have a boyfriend who's a senior and I'm going to be the coolest and it's going to be great. And then things go downhill from there pretty rapidly. And she goes, she doesn't, she goes into the house. She doesn't, she doesn't tell anyone what's happened. She doesn't tell her parents. She doesn't tell any of the people at school. She doesn't tell, you know, Rachel, she just calls the cops. She doesn't even know what to tell them. She just, she dials 911 and they show up and she is, she is kind of left already. So there's, when the do book you is, find that out? Do you know this? Like that's like three, like it's two thirds or three quarters of the way in. It, it's, it's toward the end. I mean, it, it's heavily telegraphed that that's what has happened. And I feel like I read just enough about the book before I started reading it. That, that you kind of I had an inkling. That, that was the kind of event that it centered on. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so it, so it's about that. It's about being a loner in high school, and it's about the the failure of every authority figure in Melinda's life to take her clear cries for help seriously. Like her her parents are very. They're very like 90s parents, you know, like they're very like disengaged in her life and they're so busy at work and they're, you know, they fight with each other and their marriage isn't super happy. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like that kind of archetype that I'm talking about? Yeah, there's that sitcom archetype. Um, and it's like what this gets me to a, a question that I'm going to ask you in a second. But they are they feel like products of like holdovers of what was good and bad about the 80s. But now they're in the tail end of the booming Clinton economy and they've just <laughs> been working so hard and marriage isn't what it used to be. And dang, these kids all got into grunge and we don't understand them. And we all like, it should have been better and it's frustrating that it feels like the archetype. Um, it's a little, yeah, it's a little bit of that. So that leads me to a question of like, this book was written the year that we were in eighth grade, I think um 99 into you know it was published in 99 anyway right yeah um and i think when we saw like readers some of our listeners rather like say oh yeah that book oh when i had never heard of it um i'm wondering how many people even like five or seven years younger than us may have encountered it in school but we just like missed it what yeah i i wonder if people a little bit younger than us encountered it and i wonder if people just a couple years older than us encountered it like people maybe. who would have been in high school like yeah though yeah. i don't i i honestly don't know how high schoolers would find new books i don't know where like because <laughs> because do they have the the resources to be looking for that stuff themselves i felt like at that age i was i was defining my own taste but it was still very much built off of what my like parents had handed down to me so i was like i was getting into the wheel of time and like Redwall and stuff yeah i was reading a lot but of that, that Stephen King and Anne rice yeah yeah and that was built on a foundation that my mom laid for me with like narnia and tolkien yeah i don't know um but does does the high schoolness feel like close to your experience or like, do some of the other authority figures feel close to your experience? Because that's where we were just talking to. Yeah, I feel like it's it's not. My high school experience was not like amazing, but it also wasn't sad. It wasn't like horrible. I don't I don't really ha- retain any friends from that era now. But that's mostly like it's partly on me because I'm bad at communicating mm. with 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 people who I am very friendly with but not like super close to you know sure 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 um, um but like and what partly about, because of, partly because of like geographical stuff and, and like political stuff so yeah i was wondering about the like the like era of teenness because i feel like if you wrote this book now there'd be a lot of like social media stuff that you'd have to deal with yeah like i, I think that the stuff that people talk about with social media, and I, I know that it is, it's different now because it's literally always on and there's a lot of like ritualistic, like l- liking of things yep. that you need to do. That like performative. Like yeah. Literally using the like mechanism in the, in the social media platform. 
whether you actually like that thing or not, just because if you don't do it, someone will notice that you didn't do it and then it becomes a whole thing. Like there, there are a lot of structures set up around that. Yes. But the core things of like, I want my friends to like me. I don't want to be bullied. I want to fit in, but be cool, I guess. I think those pressures were, have remained yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the ways the ways we express them are different. So, yeah, if the book was happening now, I think it would mostly be the same, except people would have phones. Yeah, you know? sure, like, sure, sure, sure. Does I think it... it's instead instead of people in the lunchroom laughing and her worrying that it's about her, it would be people on Instagram like doing the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, why is it called Speak? It's called Speak because. So you're you're tracking her response to this as as it unfolds over the course of a year. Um and so just just as her repression of and like denial of of the event early in the book gives way to her admitting it and sort of confronting it in small ways towards the end of the book. Um she, you know, I I mentioned she hadn't told anybody and that kind of becomes a, a thing where she doesn't she doesn't want to talk to anybody. Like she she is not she never becomes totally silent at any point, but she you know, she has no close friends. Most of the teachers in her school are like the authority figures are either they think that she's just trying to get attention mm. or they think she's some kind of delinquent, or they because she's like skipping school and is obviously, you know, troubled in, in some way. Or they are just like nothing to her. There's one art teacher who takes an interest, but it's clear that he's got his own stuff going on. Like his. Oh, um, interesting. Well, it's and I don't want to give the wrong idea. Like no, it's, no, no, it's no, not no. a it's not a creepy teacher, like inappropriate sort yeah, of relationship. Yeah. Which is I was worried that it was gonna go there for a little while, but it never. That's never the intent. Like he is a. He is a genuinely the cool sort of educator who is being strangled by the lack of a budget for the art program and like a a rigid curriculum and the pressure from peers and the school board to stick to that curriculum yeah, and not sure. do anything too far off the beaten path so yeah and i think i think many people have a teacher that they felt that way about like she feels sort of close to him and it's in it's it's in his class that she does the most like working through her her trauma but okay um, but she's like so i go back to the silent? original question is she yeah yeah so she's she's mostly silent she like it hurts to speak she bites her lip a lot as kind of a it's like a like when when she is stressed she bites her lip a lot so mm-hmm. they're all like scabby and whatever mm. and yeah and and it's so it's both like she hasn't told anybody what's happened and she doesn't have anybody she feels like she can talk to. Okay. Um, and that only, so, so that starts to lift later. So Rachel, her friend, like had been her best friend, now hates her, mm. is going out with Andy. Okay. And um, Melinda has kind of tentatively made this other friend in art class who she's not very close to, but it's like one of the, one of the, connections that she tentatively makes like there there's a girl in art class and then there's a uh david petrakis my lab partner is his full name (laughs) (laughs) in science who has like who gets in a fight with one of the like the social studies teacher because he comes in and he says he, he just writes immigrants on the board really big oh my god. and says, I want to have a debate about how my son didn't get this job. And it's because of immigrants. Oh my God. And, and it, you know, it becomes this whole big free speech thing. The other, the other very high school thing about this book is that there are, I was wondering where the free people get, speech people thing get, comes in. People get sidetracked in, in little weird debates that feel they feel like they would feel very important to the high schoolers, but they seem kind of, they're kind of played for humor here. Okay. Um, this is the out. Al- there's an algebra teacher who is Mr. Stepman, who is trying to get the kids interested in algebra by, by bringing real life Uh-oh. applications. 
into class. Today's application has something to do with buying guppies at the pet store and calculating how many guppies you could breed if you wanted to go into the guppy business. Once the guppies turn into X's and Y's, my contacts fog. Class ends in a debate between the animal rights activists who say it is immoral to own fish and the red-blooded capitalists who know lots of better ways to make money than investing in fish that eat their young. I watched the snow falling outside. End of chapter. <laughs> but there's there's this whole running thing with the school mascot where it's the Trojans and the school board like doesn't want it to be the Trojans. And then they change it to the Wombats, but nobody likes the Wombats. And then they change it to the Hornets. But the cheerleading squad comes up with this chant that goes, we are the Hornets, the horny, horny Hornets. <laughs> and the school board has a problem with that. What? This is good. This is a good collection of nonsense. But it's all very high school nonsense, yes, right? Well, and I was wondering why the... Because... Um, uh, Anderson's website has a couple good things on it for speak. Um, there's like a resources page where that links to stuff from rain. It links to a bunch of different stats, but also um, has like somebody wrote a paper about like free speech and examining the pledge of allegiance. And then like this book is referenced in there. And I was wondering where that came in. Uh, which you just referenced a little bit of. Um, yeah, they're a little. It's mostly in in her friend David's conflict with the with the school and with this particular social studies teacher. Sure, um, sure. Are you getting these like these snippets of? It sounds like these snippets of like high school events are set against how hard it is for Melinda to like take part in them or care yeah, about them. It's, Cause she's, she's very much on the outside of all of them. So you're, you are getting what feels like a very true slice of life to anybody who sort of felt estranged or apart from the group in high school. But also she has this very specific trauma that has placed her in this, in this position. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I feel like I have half gone down a bunch of different conversational avenues, but, um, so she, yeah, she, she makes a couple friends throughout the, throughout the story. Eventually she, you know, because Rachel is dating Andy, she decides finally like in a study hall to write a note to Rachel. And she starts with like kind of a, kind of a shared anecdote to try and break the ice. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a, you know how, Sometimes a thing happens and it's not that big a deal, but you don't talk to the other person and they don't talk to you. And eventually it becomes a bigger deal than it was just because the, the gap has become so large. Yes. <laughs> I am what? human. Yes. That's well, a yeah. thing that we all do. Unfortunately. So they are, they are chatting and then she is, she tells Rachel, you know, I was, I was raped at this party. Mm. And Rachel says, oh, my God, why? Like, why didn't you tell me who was it? And then she, and Melinda says it was Andy. And Rachel in the moment is like, oh, you just you know, you're just trying to get back at me. You just don't want me to be happy. But um, so th there's that moment. And then there's like she has written some graffiti in the in a bathroom stall mm. um, that one of her like, you know, her her art friends was was privy to. That's something about how he's how Andy is a creep. And then a bunch of other people write graffiti on the wall, like totally agreeing with her. Hmm. So like that, there, there is that experience. And then she tells Rachel and then at the prom, Rachel breaks up with Andy hmm. like that, that. So this is her like kind of finding her voice again. And then finally there's this, there's this closet, this unused closet that Melinda has found that she kind of hides out in and she, she puts art in. It's a place where she can go when she's, cutting class or just needs to feel safe somewhere. She is in this closet toward the end of the book and Andy, because he figures, you know, who else could have told Rachel what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So he comes in to this closet and tries to do it again. And, and unlike the first time where she, you know, she didn't, she didn't say anything. She didn't really know what was happening until after it had, had happened. Now she, I don't want to say that she's ready for it because that's not, that's not sending yeah, the right. Yeah. But, but she shouts and she 
yells and she does it until somebody comes and saves her from this. And, and in, in doing that, she ceases to become a pariah and then, and become sort of a, sort of a, a, a hero figure instead. I don't want heroes, not the word I want, but she, she becomes admired. Well, and it sounds like, because yeah, yeah but what yeah. you just said, it sounds like there are other people who are not comfortable with this dude and she has helped give them, you know, like given them social, like comfort to it to express yeah, that well, it's, it's, and, it's a bit like it's a bit i mean to go back to the me too stuff you brought up at the beginning of the show yeah, yeah. like there is so many times that has happened and what you get are most i mean it's mostly women but you know not exclusively but saying you know this guy did stuff to me and i didn't feel like i could speak out because the power imbalance was so big mm-hmm, or i didn't feel like mm-hmm. people would believe me because you know they've gone their whole lives seeing people get away from get away with this kind of stuff with no consequence and it's just like the way that it is um but so in a, in a similar way yeah i think a lot of people admire her like exposing of this of this guy for sure, who he sure. is you know she didn't actively seek to do it but she did do it through her actions and like refining her voice mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, so that that's where the title of the book comes from and then there's also there's also a lot of like symbolism stuff which the book lets you know that you're supposed to be looking for by <laughs> putting melinda in an english class we are reading the scarlet letter one sentence at a yep. time tearing it up and chewing on its bones it's all about symbolism says hair woman which is what she calls her english teacher uh, every word chosen by Nathaniel, every comma, every paragraph break, these were all done on purpose to get a decent grade in her class. We have to figure out what he was really trying to say. Why couldn't he just say what he meant? Would they pin scarlet letters on his chest? B for blunt, S for straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't whine too much. Some of it's fun. It's like a code breaking into his head and finding the key to his secrets. Mm. Um, and so the biggest symbol, th- there are people have talked about like mirrors as symbols. People have talked about all kinds of symbols in this book. The biggest one is, is for, for uh, Melinda is that is a tree. Okay. Um, so at the beginning of art class, her free spirit, cool boy, art teacher <laughs> tells them all, you're going to pick a word out of a hat and you have to, over the course of this year, your only assignment is to produce a work based around this word that gives it that that gives it some kind of meaning to you or that says something like emotional about you. And so throughout this entire throughout the entire book she's like drawing trees and trying to chisel trees out of blocks of linoleum and just not being happy with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but then she, you know, she has she makes this friend in art class who is who encourages her to like keep going with stuff she's not happy with who sort of exposes her to like Picasso and cubism and that, that way of expressing sure, things sure, resonates sure, sure. with her. Um, there is literally a tree in their yard that like she comes home. This is during the phase where she's kind of admitted what is happening happened and trying to sort of, sort of cope with it and come back from where she's been. Um, okay. Okay. One way the book tracks her kind of descent into depression is at the end of every quarter, you get a report card and the grades gradually get worse. Oh, boy. Um, So that's something. But anyway, she decides she's going to rake the leaves. Her dad comes home from work and is like, huh, I could. This is a good excuse for me to get some other work done. And there's this tree with a like a dead branch on it. And her dad has some people come to, you know, to cut the branch. And she's convinced the tree's going to die. But her dad's like, no, you you like cut off the dead part and it gives the rest of the tree a better chance to survive because it's not like wasting resources on that, mm-hmm. that part. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a new growth on that tree by the end of the book. And of course this is a symbol for her own like internal conflict and her own, like her way of, of coping with this thing that's happened to her. And I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not saying this is how everybody's, like not everybody has kind of an arc that takes place over the course of a school year where yeah, you gradually yeah. come to terms with the thing that happened to you and then and all your social problems are fixed forever. Like it's it's I'm not saying that the book makes it look too easy or that the book like misrepresents it. It's just it's important to note that it's like one person's yes journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
Well, and it's, I think that's that's the most important part, I guess, is that the the journey happens. It's it's just it sucks yeah. that every adult in her life so clearly misses the signs that something is wrong and just doesn't do anything. Yeah, I I know people for whom that's been an issue where it's like where it's the way folks tell their story leads people not to believe them. Like you're either too calm or you're too upset or well, or why didn't you say something earlier? Yeah. Like that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. And what it's just, I want to, I want to share a quote from a book, riot Interview with her and get yeah, your, cause I get think your take I'm, on it. I think I'm basically done. So yeah, let's yeah. wrap up with this. Um, I guess. There are, there are two things I want to talk about. One is this, okay. this quote from her. Um, they were asked, uh, she was asked, you've begun to call what you write resilience lit. And she says, the term comes from a high school teacher whose name I unfortunately forgot to make note of. She took a, <laughs> she took a photo of her whiteboard after a classroom discussion of speak. It was covered with plot details, symbolism, character notes. And in the top left corner, the teacher had written resilience literature. That was such a better description of what I write than contemporary realistic YA that I started... Or problem <laughs> novels. That I started <laughs> using it immediately. Resilience is the quality that I hope all teenagers can develop so that they are ready when the world comes at them. Literature is a fantastic way to learn about the kinds of hardships you might have to deal with watching characters grow and change is a great way to strengthen yourself for your own challenges uh, that seems to jive with what you were just saying of like it is it is this girl's story we don't know what's gonna how she's gonna deal with it moving forward but she did get through this year and she yeah did. there's there's an important paragraph um that's that's right after the bit about like the the tree and the new growth. Sure, uh, it happened. There is no avoiding it, no forgetting, no running away or flying or burying or hiding. Andy Evans raped me in August when I was drunk and too young to know what was happening. It wasn't my fault. He hurt me. It wasn't my fault, and I'm not going to let it kill me. I can grow. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the 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 key of the yes. of the book I, and I would thematically be, anyway i'd be yeah. interested to know if folks have read any of her other work or encountered it in school even um like how this theme gets or this like aesthetic maybe uh gets adapted to some of the other things that she's written about like uh you know eating disorders and, and things like that um but the other thing that i liked was that she does link to a couple different like teaching guides like penguin has a teaching guide for this book prestwick house has a teaching guide for this book and a lot of it actually is not just about the this is a good book to have discussions about sexual assault and these types of things but also like how to talk about symbolism in your book and like how to get teens talking about literary concepts without having them read the scarlet letter basically well, yeah like without without making them feel like and and this is a this is also a recurring theme is like melinda is sometimes interested in what she is doing in class but the more that it feels like you are learning something in class generally the less she is correct correct yeah um, so yeah and, and then this this works on me to this day but like how do you make learning not feel like homework yep is a big thing yep yeah yep um, I think that's the key behind every like fun language app, like every every Duolingo. Uh-huh. That's like yo soy un tomato or whatever like goofy <laughs> thing it is that the book makes it like the book feels like makes learning fun. Yeah, that's true. Um, and she also has links to um, to Rain, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network um, that folks can check out if they need to. It's R-A-I-N-N dot org. Um, and then the other, like, in the the way that the story is, like, structured on the page, and you mentioned it's kind of like a diary and is kind of broken up with bullets and stuff. From what I was reading, there's some of that is maybe supposed to be purposeful for, like, <sighs> communicating her traumatic state of her 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 PTSD kind of state of mind or yeah, I, I was, I read that too. And I, I read the ebook version and I'm wondering if there was maybe more of that formatting happening in the, okay, sure. In the print version. Like I, I know this came up a little bit when we talked about house of leaves, which yes. has a lot of like physical mm-hmm. ways that it uses to make reading the book uncomfortable. This was, you know, it is, it's broken up sometimes by like, 
ways that she refers to things like David Petragas, my lab partner, but I didn't, there wasn't a lot of like, I don't know, like blank pages or, okay. or like huge noticeable paragraph breaks or anything like that in, okay. in the ebook version. Okay. I, I might be missing out on some of the experience this way. The thing that, that wasn't, I didn't, I didn't notice that. But I did also read about it. The thing that gets me about some of the ebooks is when it's like a screenshot of like handwritten text when it's like, and here's a book that has like someone drew on this page and it's like a real janky JPEG just like hanging out. I I love the convenience of ebooks. I hate moving with physical books. Like it is just the worst thing in the entire world. But, and then there's that news from this week about, like Microsoft's ebook store is, is shutting down and because of the digital rights management, just your books are gone now. All the books that you yep. bought are just gone. That's what it like is. That sucks. Uh so yeah, I wish I wish there were things about it that were better than they are. Because <laughs> it kind of feels like Kindles got as good as they were gonna get six or seven years ago. Uh-huh. And then they were like, you know what? This is fine. I'm good. Like maybe <laughs> I'll make it waterproof, but it doesn't have to like the actual reading experience doesn't have to get any better now. It's good. I guess it's perfect. I guess the lesson, Andrew, is join your local library so that you don't have to own the books, but you can actually read the real books. Maybe if that's, that's convenient. a lesson. That's, I mean, we can a- all we all <laughs> we learned a lot here today, and that's one of the things that we learned is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Well, thanks for talking about this book, Andrew. Folks at home. If you want to uh, let us know where you encountered this book or how you feel about podcasting schedules, um, you can do it by writing in at overduepod at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at facebook.com slash overduepod and twitter.com slash overduepod. Thanks to the folks reaching out in the past week or so, including Rebecca, Oswaldo, Taylor, Tom, Russell, Jamie, Amanda, Akshat, Meg, Trina, Anna, Michelle, James, Marianne, Kelsey. And again, thanks to Kristen for recommending this book. Andrew, folks want to know more more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Our July schedule is going to post soon. It's a little truncated because the due date for my child is (laughs) July 21st. There will not be an interruption of service. We continue. We will continue to deliver unto you on time the content that you crave. It's true, but it is. It does make scheduling hard because the baby just like it takes the due date as a suggestion. It just comes when it comes, and the baby's not going to read for a while. So like we can't even pawn some episodes off on the baby right yeah, away. Man, it's going to be forever before this thing can earn its keep. <laughs> um, also, up on that website, we've got links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. Subscribe to the show. And an Apple podcast rate and review us. And then we also have a uh, link to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash overdue pod. Kick us a couple bucks and help support the work that we're doing. Yeah. And also our various family members who depend on us to eat and stuff. To eat and stuff. You're right. Yeah. That's it. Uh, Craig, what are you reading next week? Um, Jonathan, as far as you know. <laughs> Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. It's a big long book doing two mm-hmm. big ones right in a row. Let's go. Thanks. Thanks, bud. That's my man. The big one that I'm doing is the baby. I just don't want, I don't want you to feel like I'm not doing my part. I know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.